Okay, I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, before we start today, let you know that I trucked the traffic conditions and there is an accident on my way to work. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of red. So, we might have a longer podcast today. As such, I picked a topic that I've been wanting to talk about that I have a lot to say on. Uh, the topic is bad cards. So, long ago, when I started my, writing my column, Making Magic, uh, I think the sixth column I ever wrote was a column called When Cards Go Bad. Um, and what happened was, uh, when, the, when we first premiered, um, we started doing a thing called uh, Ask Wizards, which we don't do anymore. Well, we, we do it occasionally, but it was a daily feature back then. And the idea was people ask something, and then we get a wizards person we think is the, the best person to answer to answer it. So one day there's a question about, like, I don't know, about why you make bad cards. And I, I said, look, bad cards have to exist, and whatever. I, I gave a short, I said, I said, this is a more complex issue, but, you know, bad cards have to exist. Uh, and anyway, a guy wrote to me, uh, Nathan, I forget his last name, um, and said, what do you mean bad cards have to exist? They don't have to exist. And uh, I printed a letter, and in response, I wrote a letter about why bad cards do have to exist, which became the article called When Cards Go Bad. Um... I also wrote, I revisited it not too long ago to sort of do a little bit of update and talk about it. Um, but this is a, a really important, if you care about game design, uh, this is a very important topic. And so I felt it was worthy of a drive to work. Um, so the, the, the big, I'm, I'm not going to cover exactly in the order that the, the article covered it, because I wanted to sort of approach it from a, a slightly different vantage point. Um, so the question is, why metaphorically almost. Why, why must there be bad cards? Um, and so, one of the things that I like to talk about is that I think people sometimes don't understand uh, that there is value, the value of things and where they come from. That there's assumptions that certain things are always better than other things. For example, the idea that strong is better than weak. Built into our society. Strong is good. Weak is bad. But think about this. What, what is a fuse? You know, a fuse is something in your uh, box, or your, your electrical box, that is weaker than the things around it. That's designed to blow if there's a power surge. And why is that? Because if not, it would cause a lot of damage. But by having one sort of weak spot that's purposely put in, it protects the larger system. You know, it's, it, it is something that is made to be weak, but is doing a service by being weak, you know, and that the whole mindset that, like, strength is good and weak is bad doesn't quite understand the bigger picture. Now, here's something I talk about a lot, but let me, let me sort of explain it here, which is the goal of game design is not to make things easy for the people playing. That's not why they're here playing a game. You know, I've talked about this in my article about how, you know, when you design an object, somehow it's always a lamp. Uh, I think maybe uh, uh, it's my go-to uh, th- anyway, when you design a lamp, you want to make it easy to understand how to use the lamp. Like the on switch should be obvious. It should, you know, you should know where it is. You should be able to get to it. When you, it should be easy to push. The light should go on. You know, the goal is to make it as easy to use as possible. That is not how game design works. Not in remotely how game design works. Game design is you are trying to throw obstacles in the way of your audience. You know, the audience doesn't want it easy. You know. Here's a game, roll a die, if you roll one through six, you win. Okay, not, not a very exciting game. 
You know, even roll two through six, you win. Eh, still not that exciting a game. Um, what you want is something where you say, okay, you got to roll, you know, a six on a six set of die, but, and there's some parameters to it. You know, that, you know, your goal is to do this thing, but there's parameters. Um, and the funny thing is, maybe it's because I come from uh, the world of, you know, uh, TV and film, that I'm a storyteller. I mean, that's my background. And so I always compare game design to storytelling. And storytelling is very similar, which is, it's not fun if you're... So you always have a protagonist in a story, and your protagonist wants something. That, that's key, right? It's, it's key to any story. Your protagonist has to want something. If they don't want something, it's kind of hard to have a story. But they want something. And then you throw obstacles in their way. Uh, I had a teacher who explained it as... Uh, the three beats of a story is, uh, man grows up a tree, uh, throw rocks at the man, man gets out of the tree. And it's kind of the thing is, you have to make it hard for your protagonist to get the thing they want. You know, for example, you know, Dorothy gets caught up in a tornado and lands in the Wizard of Oz. Well, what does Dorothy want? She wants to go home. Well, does Glenn the Goodwitch go, okay, I'll send you home? No! Or does Glenda even say, hey, you're wearing ruby slippers. If you click those together, you can go home. No. Okay? The point is, there's some obstacles in her way. With starters, she's informed she has to go see the Wizard of Oz. Who, as we all know, he can't get her home. But that's the point is, you know, she has to be sent on journeys and do things. And, like, in the end, she has to discover, oh, she had this within her. But that, you, you can't find that out right away. Games is the same way. Games... When you start playing a game, you want to have the game challenge you. In fact, if you play a game, I, I've learned this, and it's too easy the first time, you go, eh, that's not too exciting. You know, what you want is a game that challenges you. And, and to be fair, one of the things about Magic that is one of the, uh, the saving graces of the game, or not saving graces, it's an awesome game, but one of the strong things about the game is it is a challenging game. That no matter how good you are at the game, there's something about the game that says, wait... There's more for you to learn. And that's, that's an awesome part of the game. Um, I've now gone the freeway, and thus far, I do not see traffic. So, I don't know. See, you guys, there's here, the funny thing. I'm rooting for no traffic. I got a meeting to go to. You guys are like, hmm, traffic jam sounds good. So, I'll let you know how the traffic jam. Right now, though, uh, I, I expected to see something I don't. So, it might have gotten cleared up. Anyway, um, so, you want to challenge your audience. You want to throw things in their way. Okay, so why... Why do bad cards do that? Well, for starters, the, one of the big things about magic is that you want to make people have some challenge. Okay? But here's, here's the problem. Number one, you've lost of different people with different skill sets. I want to make the game challenging for everyone. Not just for the top end player. Not just for the bottom end player. For everyone. Well, how do I do that? Well, one of the ways to do that is you have a sloping degree of skill. What that means is you want to make sure that every person who enters the game, at their level, there is a, um, a, a difficulty. You know what I'm saying? That there is something to challenge them. At every level, you want them to be challenged. And the reason that you want bad cards is your beginning player isn't going to know much better. And then you want to make sure that you have... Oh, oh okay, I'm now hitting traffic. You, cheers went out! Yay, traffic! Um... Okay, I'm starting to stop now, so we're actually hitting this accident. Um, okay, so you want to make sure that there's layers that go along, that 
that every player has a challenge for them. And so one of the things in design is we want to make sure that there's cards that challenge everybody. Also, equally important, not only do you have to challenge people, but you also have to give them victories. Um, that if, if, you ch- if you stymie people too much, if you never let them solve anything, they, they'll give up. Like, one of the things that's interesting, um, uh, Mark Gottlieb, former rules manager, now the man, uh, magic uh, designer, uh, d- design manager, sorry, um, he, as a hobby, and usually professionally, designs puzzles. Um, and so he and I have had a lot of talk. I, I, I uh, my wife and I like to throw parties, and I, I tend to make puzzles for the party. So I, I've dipped my toe in puzzle making, not quite as much as Mark has. Uh, and one of the things he said is that the goal of a puzzle is not to outwit your audience. It's to make something that is challenging but solvable. And games are the same way. That you want to have challenge, but if it's too hard, literally, if, if you sit down and play and it's like, well... Let me explain the 8,422 rules you need to play this. First, check. Is the sun out? What season is it? Uh, is there a cow within distance? I, I don't know. Like, if you get the game too complex, it just doesn't, you know, people will just give up. So what you need to do is you need challenges and you need victories that come. So you need to make the game scale such that when people enter the game, right away they figure things out and right away they're challenged. Both things need to happen. So how you do that? Well, that's where bad cards, especially from the low end, are important. You need the new player, when they walk in the door and they look at the game for the first time, to go, oh, this is better than that. They, right off the door, they need it now. Even if, by the way, they're not 100% correct. For example, one of the things we've learned with a new player, you know, that's a very obvious thing, is they assume bigger is better. My theme from earlier. You know, like I remember when I opened my first pack, I had a crawl worm in it. Now, back in the day, back in Alpha, uh, they were a little... They were a little um, stingier common, you know. So, like, I had one ones, two two, maybe a three three, and then a six four. Six four! This thing is awesome, you know. And I felt like I cracked something. That's important. By the way, the fact that they are always correct is, is not key. You want them to have victories. They can later learn that some of the victories weren't really victories. As long as they, that the sense is feeling like they've learned something, you know. Um, but some of the victories have to be true. And some of the reasons for bad cards. Oh, I got past the accident. That was not a very long, uh, no. Then the audience is like, no, where's the accident? So I know you guys aren't rooting for an accident, but you're, you're just rooting for the jam, not the, not the accident. Um, so anyway, the, um, you, you need to make sure that you, some of the victories are true, honest victories. And part of that is, look, you need to put cards in so bad, so bad, that lower-level players go, oh, I'm not going to play that. And here's the thing. Players, especially beginning players, have very little ability to, to correctly figure things out. But they have some, and so what you need to do is play into that. Now, the funny thing is some of the challenges, right, are false challenges in which, you know, or false victories in which they think they learned something and then later they learn they need to relearn it. Um, oh, me stopped again. I don't, today is a crazy day of stop and go. Um, so, you want to have a nice, a nice range for people. Um, so that's the number one thing. The bad cards allow your lower-end players to have their victories and have their challenges and be able to move up. Um, another thing that you need is you want your top players to have an advantage. Now, a lot of games make the fault of giving the top players too much advantage. 
it is important in your game that the beginner, that the low-level player has the dream of beating the top-end player. They shouldn't beat them most of the time, but they can have the dream. And a game in which you don't have the dream is a lot harder to get into. Because if everybody who's better than you is going to always beat you, uh, there's no hope. And games need hope. You know, you, the player, need to feel like if things go right, if, if, if the stars align, you know, I could beat the best magic player in the world. I could beat John Finkel or whoever, whoever would determine is the best player. I don't, I don't know, a bunch of people could be. Um, but I could beat the best magic player ever, you know, if, if, if the stars shine, you know. Um, you know, and for example, I, I personally have beaten John Finkel. Now, I've only played him, I don't know, we've played ten times in my life, and he's probably beaten nine out of ten. But I did beat him once, and, you know, that, that, that is, there's something fun about going, hey, there was a chance I was able to do it. Um, I might have actually beat him twice, but anyway, I, not, not many times. Uh, and the, the, the reason that you want to give that is that the, you want to give hope to the lower-end player, but at the same time, you want the top-end player to feel confident. You know, if your game is too much randomness in it, or lack of skill, then the top-end player goes, why am I playing this? There's no advantage for sticking in energy for me, you know, why am I going to spend my time and energy to learn things? I talked about how important strategy was, strategy was in my top 10 article, right? Um, of top 10 things a game needs, uh, podcast and article. Um, and that part of that's important. So you both need your beginning player not to get lost, and you need your experienced player to feel like there is, um, there is something that, 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 that they can get better and achieve, and that there is, there is a reward for, for being the better player. Um, so bad cards not only help the worst player have the chance to win, they also help the better player. Wait, what? How is that? And here's why. So, in design, we play um, what we call flat power level. And what that means is, is we cost all the cards to be playable. Why do we do that? The reason we do that is, the goal of uh, design playtests, especially early design playtests, is not to get the sense of a balanced environment. That's late design and development. Uh, early design, I just want to play with all the cards. I just want to see things. Is this fun? Is that fun? Um, and so everything's very aggressively costed because we just want to play with it. Now, one of the problems is uh, when you go to build decks, you can build anything. It's not hard to build. There's not a lot of challenge to building a deck. Everything's good. Anything can go in. Now, my goal there is not to maximize. I'm not trying to challenge myself as a deck builder. At that point, I'm trying to experiment. And so I have a lot of motivations to play different cards. I'm, oh, I've never done that before. Let me see what that's like, you know. And that in early design, the goal... In fact, one of the problems we have sometimes is when developers play an early design play test, they try to build the best deck they can. And a lot of times I have to say to them, oh, no, 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 not yet. Just find something fun to play, you know. Um, and, or even if they, let's say they do one play test where they build the best deck, they go, fine, you did that. Now, next play test, play different colors. You know, you know our, our goal is not to find what's broken in, in the early design play test. It's to find what is interesting and fun. Um, anyway, I bring this up because... I have played a lot with the flat power level. I play a lot of design. And one of the things I realized is, so for example, we will invite other people in the pit to play. Um, and some of them have never played before. Meanwhile, I'm the lead. I played every set most of the time. You know, every, I've been in every single play test. And so what I've discovered is, um, if I have a single play test and I'm playing with someone who it's their first or second time playing, and I played, you know, 20 times, um, I have much less advantage. 
because they can't go that far wrong, you know? And what happens is, once you have a flat power level, power then comes from synergy, not from individual cards, you know? And so, yeah, my deck's a little better. I know which cards play better with each other, and I have a better sense, you know? So there's a little bit of thing to gauge, but I have a lot less to choose. And the idea is, if, if Magic was completely flat, then... Anybody who drafted wouldn't be that far off. I mean, the better players would be more synergistic, and they had slightly better decks, but not, not that much better decks, you know? And one of the things about having uh, bad cards is not everybody knows who the bad cards are, you know? And so, you know, uh, a player might take something that's really not that good, allowing the better player to take the better card, and that, you know, having the, the wide spectrum of good to bad really does give the better players a huge leg up because they now can maximize understanding good from bad, where a less good player won't. Now, whenever I talk about this, whenever I talk about the flat-level design, I always get people that say, wait, wait a minute, you can make a flat-level design? Why don't you do that? You should do that. Magic should do that. Magic would be more awesome if Magic had a flat design. So, the answer is, there's reasons we can't do that in development. Um, I'll really quick get into it. Uh, it's more, I'm more a designer, but I, I understand the principles here. Uh, one is that... Um, you can't make everything at the level you need to be without doing what we call power creep. We either, well, for sure you do power creep because there's things that pre-exist. Well, if you want these cards to, to be equal, you know, you start having to raise the power level to make everything be equal. And then the, you'll have overall power creep as you go along. That, you know, the, the way I, I like people to think about it is imagine power being a resource that the development team only has so much. You know, they have a tank of power, and they can put so many, or, or points is how I often talk about it. They have so many points to distribute. And the point is, they, they, they don't have enough points to distribute everything. If they did, the overall power level would raise, and then you have power creep problems. Um, and what power creep, for those that don't know what that is, is um, imagine we made a set. and the next set, the cards are better than the first set. Well, now you don't want to play the first set, you want to play the second set. But in order to make a third set, those have to be more powerful than the second set. And so you keep having to make things more powerful. And what happens is, well, in the beginning, you know, do three damage was good. Well, now you have to do four damage. Now you have to do five damage. You know, you get to the point where it just escalates and escalates, and the game spirals out of control. And the development team works really hard to keep that from happening. Um, using a device that I call the Escher Stairwell. Um, what an Escher Stairwell means is uh, Escher is an artist who is famous for drawing uh, optical illusions. And one of his famous paintings is a stairway, or he has a bunch of these, where there's a stairway where people keep walking up. That no matter what, but obviously you can't keep walking up, but you can in an optical illusion. And the way that uh, development does this is they make some things better that become the focus and then put other things down. And the focus isn't on the things that are weaker, the focus is on the things that are stronger. So since you are always looking at the stronger stuff, it seems like each set, something's stronger. And something is, but you're, you're not sort of watching what's weaker behind it. Um, but anyway, another really important reason that cards are bad is they can't all be good. We can't. We couldn't do it, you know. And there's only so many cards that can be played in the environment. You know, I talked about this in my article, which is, you know, if you said, okay, let's, let's make our goal to make things as flat as possible, even then, something's just going to be better. Maybe it's synergistically better. Maybe just there's a deck for it to be played in. Whatever. There's a reason by which some cards are better than other cards. You know, and power is relative, you know. And stuff to recall might be the most powerful magic card ever made. I mean, there's some arguments there, but one of the most powerful ever made. Uh, but tomorrow I make you draw five cards, then you draw three cards looks kind of weak. I mean, you draw seven cards looks even weaker. You know, it, it, it's all a matter of perspective, you know, and that 
Um, what's bad is just correlated to other things that exist. But we can't make everything good because no matter what we do, there's always going to be something better. I mean, we're not, we're not such... I mean, first of all, we have, we have the mana system to work with as our, our major tool for balance. It's not a perfect system. You know, a lot of times, the right cost of the spell really would be, you know, 2.3 and a red, you know, or 3 and 1.4 reds, you know. But magic, magic can't handle that. So... It's, it's, it's an inter-system. So it means it's, you can't even make the cards exactly the same. And, right, with, with a lot of other factors, it, something's always going to be the better thing. Something's always going to be good. And so not only would you have power creep issues if you tried, but in the end, you, some cards would still be better than other cards. You're never going to get around that phenomenon, you know. And so, I mean, bad cards have to exist in the sense that there's always cards that are going to be relatively worse than other cards in the system. Now, here's another important thing about bad cards is I often talk about how magic is many games to many people, you know. And what I mean by that is magic is, I mean, I've talked about this before in the podcast, that there's many ways to play. And that in some ways, when you pick up magic, you're picking up a game system, and then there's different options of, of how you want to use that game system. Um, and it has a shared rule umbrella. I mean, it, obviously, once you learn ma- one magic, it's very easy to pick up any other kind of magic. Um, but we have to deliver to that, meaning people like Commander, we got to make cards for Commander. People like Standard. we got to make cards for Standard. People like Vintage. People like... Uh, name your format. You know, there's a billion formats. Or not billion. A lot of formats. And we're trying to make, you know, for limited and draft, and we're trying to make cards for all different formats. And the reality is, you know, if we make a card for another format, odds are it might not be good in your format. You know? But that's okay. Because not every card is going to be for every player. And some of our bad cards are just hey, this is aimed at somebody and you're not the person it's aimed for. And that's okay. That, you know, look, we need, like, so here's another important thing of game design, which is people do not need to like everything. In fact, one of my maxims is uh, if you make a game that everybody likes but nobody loves, it will die. Because what makes people, this is human nature for a second, but what makes people get attracted to something is the high, high, the high highs of something. You know, and you can't keep high highs forever. But that's not how humans function. Humans will look at something and they'll look at the high highs of it and the low lows. And if the high highs uh, outmit the low lows, then, then they generally go, that was an awesome thing. If the low lows outmit anything else, then that's a bad thing. You know, and that really, when humans look at experience, they go to the extreme. That's how they remember it. And so, usually, the thing that is a thing you really like gave you a bunch of high highs and that is what made it memorable to you memorable to you you know there, there was a moment of just sheer bliss and that moment of sheer bliss carries a long way because life is not full of constant moments of sheer bliss they happen every once in a while you enjoy them when you can but they, they get you a long way you know like I often talk about being a parent that parenting is a lot of work a lot of work a lot of work but it gives you moments of sheer bliss you know and that hey, it's not easy getting sheer bliss. And so you're like, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll put in the work and I'll do this because the, the high highs are really high, you know. And uh, so um, the key to making a game work is making sure that you have the high highs. That I want to make sure that every set, there's at least a couple cards that just, bam, that you go, that is awesome. I love those cards, you know. And that I'm, in order to do that, I'm willing 
that some of the cards will miss completely, you know. And, and by the way, that's not even a bad thing. Not even a bad thing. That having a, a range of things makes you value the things that are higher, you know. That um, one of the reasons, you know, when you uh, put your money in, in the machine, to, you know, the little 25-cent machine to get a little toy out of it, the toys are varied in purpose, you know. That you, you kind of, it's more exciting to, A, not get what you get, and, and know that, oh, there's a range of things I can get, and that's this little thing, but, oh, there's this big thing, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, magic cards, you know, there's commons and there's rare, mythic rares, that, you know, there's different things you can get, and that, that, that humans love that. that, that's very exciting. Um, but part of that means is, when I'm designing something, I want to make sure that I'm making high highs, and part of doing that is, I have to focus, I have to hyper-focus, I have to say, this is my audience. This is who it's for. This card has to be good and make sure they love it. And if I allow myself to, to force myself to make other people like it, I'm not going to give as high a high. The second I have to say, well, I'm going to make this for both player A, you know, group of player A and group of player B. Well, maybe if I make a few decisions to help player group B, I'm lessening for group A. I got to focus. Now, sometimes you make something, group A and group B like it, but I always feel when you're designing something, you have to know who your audience is designed for that audience. If another audience hates it, does not matter. Doesn't. Because you're shooting for the high highs for the audience you want. Now, that other player, you got to give him high highs somewhere else. You got to give him a card that he's going to love. You know? And that's, the, to be honest, the real trick of doing set design is you have all these audiences and everybody needs to have a card they love. You know? But... There is no way to do that without making cards that other people will hate because the thing that makes one person love it is irrelevant to another person. You know, for example, if I make some awesome legendary creature that's just this neato commander that, like, is expensive because it kind of has to be expensive to, you know, pack in all the awesomeness you want. But in commander, it's okay. You know, they're willing to... Commander games go longer. They can have larger commanders, more expensive commanders. And, hey, they're excited. Plus, if you make a commander that just offers something that they've never had before, a certain color combination that you can do something, they get real excited. That's an awesome thing. That's a high high for them. But some other player, like, what? You know, some, like, competitive tournament player, you know, it's like, whatever, I'm never playing that card. And that's useless to me. Like, okay, it's useless to you. But, you know, it's a high high for somebody. Um... You know, and another thing that is one of the things I talk about, like one of the great risks of magic design is taking no risks. Another reason we have bad cards is we try things, we experiment with things. You know, like one of the things I will do all the time is I'll say, you know, I said to somebody, "What do you think of something? What do you think of this card?" And they go, "I don't know." You know, I don't know. I don't know what to think of that card. <coughs> will the players like it? I don't know if the players will like it. And I, I get intrigued. I'm like, really? Let let's see. Um, and the reason for that is, I mean, part of being a designer is I have to design resources. Is, you know, design is a resource. So there's, there's, there's a finite amount of it. I'm not, there's a lot. I mean, I don't, we're not going to end the game anytime soon. But there is a finite amount. And so I'm always looking for new veins of design. So whenever I hit something that no one understands, I'm like, yay, I want to explore this. You know, uh, will people like this? Will they not? Um, and, and, and sometimes there's obvious things I know people will like, and a lot of design is, oh yeah, I know who's, I know who's gonna like this. But sometimes it's like, I wanna experiment a little bit. I wanna put something out there that I'm not quite sure what's gonna happen. I'm not quite sure how it's gonna work. I'm not quite sure how it's gonna be reacted to, you know. And then some of the bad cards are just us trying stuff and saying, hey, you know, I mean, sometimes it's development pushing a card that I think maybe will, maybe will be hit, but it doesn't, you know, or maybe it's, 
us just making something that says, oh, well, if something goes in a weird direction, here's an answer, but it never does, so the answer doesn't mean anything. You know, some bad cars is just R&D kind of doing what we need to do, which is trying things, you know, and that that is a very important part of, of the design process and, and development process is testing things out and trying things. And, you know, on some level, there's no beta, you know, I'm like, we have to put things out and try it. And if people like it, I mean, you'll notice there's a trend where we will put feelers out and some of them fail and then you don't see them again. Um, or, or, you know, we retweak them and try them again. Or something success and bam, it comes back. Maybe a whole mechanic. Like you'll notice, for example, one of the things we've been doing a lot of in recent years is we've been finding successful one-of cars and making them mechanics. You know, you like this one particular thing, like bam, okay, we'll give you a, we'll give you a whole a whole bunch of them. You know, and that a lot of times cars are, are, are a great place to experiment for mechanics. That if I don't know if the mechanic will, will shine or not, well, the best way to do that is just give them, you know, one car to try out. Um, anyway, I, I see work. So I don't know how long today was. We had a little bit. I, it's funny because uh, when I, I heard there was uh, an accident, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a topic I can talk a long time on. Um, and I don't think I had, I don't think I had long. I mean, maybe this is something I'll come back to one day. It's not really a two-parter because I said most of what I want to say. Um, I mean, ultimately, the thing I want people to think about are bad cards. The reason I wrote the article in the first place, the reason I wanted to talk about the topic today is that... Um, the idea that bad is bad, you know, that, that, that sounds silly. The, the idea that, that a bad card serves no purpose is kind of shows that you're not understanding what it means. You know, a card is bad because it's a relative value, but just because it's bad in a relative value doesn't mean it might mean something. You know, that cards that are bad in one regard could be really strong in another. And that is, you know, what gives them value. And, ironically, sometimes being weak, as, as with the fuse, is itself a strength. Um, and so, kind of what I want to say is, you know, for all your designers out there, um, don't be afraid of, A, things that are weak. Don't be afraid of things that aren't obvious. Don't be afraid of your audience not liking something. You know, one of the big challenges of being a designer is evoking emotion. And not all of it has to be positive emotion. Most of it should be positive emotion. But hey, you do want to occasionally frustrate your, your player. You want to occasionally make them mad. You want to occasionally make them sad. I mean, you want to create an experience. You want them to sort of, you know, have this experience to overcome and to, to, to live. And that, that is not filled with just happy moments. Yes, you want the happy moments. You want your high highs. Those are very valuable. But you need a breadth of experience. And to do that, you need a breadth of tools. And bad cards or bad pieces or bad components are a key part of that. That is a big part of game design. Okay, it's not time for me to go. So anyway, thanks for joining me for my bad card discussion. And I guess it's time to make the magic.